Welcome to the Novelist Course Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam. This is something we've really been looking forward to for a few months. We are getting back into the swing of things with our creator spotlights. Several of you have been asking about this. When are we going to get back to our creative interviews? And the time is finally here. This week, we're starting off with James Michaels. He's a crime fiction writer. His latest work, The Ballad of Johnny Carlo, is out now. We talk a lot about Johnny Carlo, but we also talk about the history of crime in the United States, um, the ebbs and flows, particularly of the mafia. Really fascinating conversation, not only about true history in America, but also writing crime fiction in general. If you're interested in, or if you know anybody that is interested in having a creative spotlight interview, we are currently taking submissions. We're looking to have about 8 to 12 interviews throughout the rest of the year. You can be a novelist, a screenwriter, a poet, a director. If you are in the business of telling stories, we want to hear from you. You can reach out to us on NovelDiscoursePodcast.com. You can also reach out to us on our Twitter, Novel underscore Discourse. If you like what you hear, as always, please like and subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. We'd greatly appreciate that. Without further ado, here's James. Happy summer. I think it's officially summer, at least where I'm at. It's like a hundred and it's like 110 degrees every single day. I don't know if you're having the same issues as us. We're we're kind of in that state where you never know if you're gonna walk out to your car and your windshield or your steering wheel is gonna be melted. I don't know if you're dealing with the same problem where you're at. Where are you calling from? Michigan. Michigan. Okay, so you don't have you don't have the same problems as us. Your your problems start in like four or five months, I'm assuming, with the cold. Yeah. I, I've heard that you guys do summer right, that you guys are always outdoors and able to you know enjoy much cooler weather how is does that ring true to you yeah i try for my kids you know have them go out and see the world i'm kind of an indoor person but you know now, now that i have children i really want them to kind of go out and experience you know the world oh yeah you've been real busy lately haven't you i saw that you know we, we were talking about before this i asked you know about the books that you were coming out with and you you you'd pointed out that you recently come out with or about to come out with two books right i mean you've got we have the ballad of johnny carlo has that come out yet has that been released and then you have uh and then you have ice rising yes uh ice rising was my first book that released march of last year no february of last year and then johnny carlo the ballad of johnny carlo released march of this year okay and then i have the sequel to ice rising that's going to be released next month and then my current project is a collection of short stories that I'm working on. That'll be released sometime next year. Wow, you are staying busy. You're doing, you're making writers proud because, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing enough writing at all. The whole, you know, the adage of like writers write. I'm, I'm currently not a writer, so I'm just, just I'm strictly a podcaster right now. So it sounds like you're doing enough writing for the both of us. Um, I, I, you know, with with the ballad of Johnny Carlo this being kind of like a crime thriller a, a mafia thriller is that is that kind of where you find your passion is the is the crime thriller or the mafia plot lines um or do you dive do you divert from that like also with your short stories where do you find your your passions um definitely crime thriller yeah. i've always been an avid reader of crime fiction and non-fiction i feel like you know true crime i just don't know what I would be able to write with that, with facts to gather, things like that. So yeah. I kind of stick to just fiction for right now. Um, mafia, that's always something I've been interested in ever since I was a kid. You know, I've always been fascinated with, you know, organized crime and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I wanted to try this one out. Yeah. I was talking to my brother about this a little bit earlier. I was, I was bringing up the ballad of Johnny Carlo, and he was like, man, you should ask him about all these... <laughs> 
all these celebrity or actor deaths we've had lately. I feel like we've had a string of just, you know, iconic uh, actors in like uh, we had like James Con pass and uh, the guy who played yeah. I guess Pauly is it was it Pauly that passed away from Sopranos I forget their names but uh, no 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 that was um, Ray Liotta from Goodfellas well he he passed too um, which is was yes. like the, that was the worst one I feel like not to rank these guys but uh, the the one right. yeah, the guy from uh, trying to think of the guy from Sopranos who's like who is uh, it was James Goodall he's like right hand man in that show I forget but. Uh, Anyways, we've had three at least. Really? Yeah, I might have to pull up his name here in a little bit. But um, we've had a string of oh. of pretty high high uh, I don't know like high impact as- actors in the in the mafia film area. Is there is there a, a a movie or a story that kind of set you off on this path that really piqued your interest? It's kind of a, a, a collection of different stuff. Um, like I said, I've always been interested in the mafia. Um, the Godfather, you mentioned James Conn, The Godfather is my favorite movie. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, adds into it. Um, but I've also been into, with, with Battle Johnny Carlo, there's so many different pieces from so many different, uh, like, shows and movies and stuff that kind of inspired this. Actually, a large part of Johnny Carlo, especially the whole relationship between uh, the character Johnny Carlo and his best friend Vincent is heavily inspired from uh, Cowboy Bebop. Oh yeah, I love Cowboy Bebop. We've talked about that on the show several times. Um, that is such yes. a great show. I I could I could that's see my that. favorite anime. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Andy and I are are huge into heady anime. Right, we did an episode earlier this year on Ghost in the Shell. We did an episode on Akira that we haven't released yet because we just haven't gotten around to it. Um, but Cowboy Bebop is like super high on my list. I always say that that is a show that if you if you haven't watched anime or you're kind of anti anything that happens to be in the cartoon medium, you like you can watch Cowboy Bebop and it should it should hit with you, you know? Because I feel like a lot of people yeah. just immediately look past it because it happens to be animation and they don't they don't look at the fact that it's an amazing story. I've got I've got a lot of family members right. that are like that that just they you know they'll watch um like tom clancy movies spy thrillers that are completely unrealistic at all times but then you show them that and they're like oh this is this is for children it's like no this is this is pretty awesome writing you know so right that's a great that's oh did you like the the live action one they came out with on netflix did you watch that the only aspect i saw of that was the fight between spike and vicious at at the cathedral yeah i mean that's probably the most iconic scene in the show the anime is the fight at, at the cathedral you know when they've got the gun and the sword on each other yeah. and um they're talking about how you know they're they're beasts and they hunt for others and um just ends in a stalemate yeah like they got the backlight of the uh what do you call it the backlight from the painted gla- what am i trying to say that not the painted glass what do you call that? uh stained glass stained glass stained glass yeah. yeah it's dude it's awesome um so that's a great thing to you know, to, to draw from, um, you could definitely leave me off on a cowboy bebop tangent pretty quickly. And, uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's a great show. Yeah. <laughs> I, we, I was, I was thinking about what makes mafia films in particular interesting. And, and with the ballad of Johnny Carlo, I definitely don't want to give anything away, but I think one of the things that just in general makes that type of crime interesting is there is, there's a dynamic where these, these ruthless, criminals but they have this code and i know that the the ballad of johnny carlo uh, has that a lot as well 
this code of like family and honor and you'll do anything for the godfather or whatever um and it's a, it's a, it's different than what the the dynamic that you might see on like breaking bad with how they show the cartel or something like that where it's a lot more there might be more backstabbing right this isn't you're not dealing with like gangs in chicago or south la there there's a little bit more like i said honor and tradition tied into it and so uh, you could almost say family. I know that's like a common trope with a lot of these mafia stories, especially Italian mafia. It's family, right? And so the, right. when there's a backstabbing that happens, it's a lot more uh, like personal. I know like the Godfather, that's that's a huge element of the Godfather, huge element of the Sopranos. Um, and I know with your character web, that definitely tied into that. Can you speak to that? Do you agree? First of all, do you agree with that? Is that something that you, you were drawing off of or um, just what are your overall thoughts with that dynamic? Definitely. Um, the mafia. See, I'm I'm kind of like a student of crime. Um, the mafia is one of the most romanticized areas of crime of of the history of crime as we know it. Yeah, you know, I would say it's a top contender with you know the pirates of the golden age of piracy and like the the Bonnie and Clyde and the John Dillingers of the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you have movies like you know like you have The Godfather which is just, you know, like, these guys, you watch The Godfather or you read the book, it's almost like you have a feeling of these guys have to be here. Like, like they're almost they're almost good guys. Or at the very least, like, you're aware that they're bad guys, but, you know, are they really? Are they yeah. really the bad guy? And then you have the more modern shows and movies, like you have The Sopranos, where, you know, it's a little bit, not as romantic, but you know, it gives you a chance to look at the characters from different aspects. Like, uh, you know, like you mentioned James Gandolfini as Tony Soprano, you know, yeah, he's, he's a crime boss, but he's also, you know, family man. He's got kids and he's got kind of real world problems that a lot of us go through. Right. You know, he's got, he's like more relatable because he has other aspects. And I think it's one of the best things about the Godfather or not the Godfather, but the Sopranos is the element of, he's got this therapy session going on the whole time where it shows his human element. It shows that he's, you know, there, there's like entire episodes that don't really show him doing anything really mafia related. And I think that's right. A stroke of genius really. Um, and I think there's a resurgence of the culture. Um, like you have not the mafia itself, but its significance because well, for one you had the Irishman that came out in 2019 uh, the Martin Scorsese movie mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it I highly recommend it, it, it it's it's like the, the Jimmy Hoffa story is that the one that's like three hours long um, on Netflix yes okay I haven't that's and the reason I haven't I would, gotten around to it yet is I, every time I pull up the, the runtime I'm like okay I, I don't have enough <laughs> bags of popcorn to get through this this is going to be rough so but I but everybody well, see, that I've talked to especially love, writers love it so I need to do it right I mean I love Al Pacino he's my favorite actor so watching him play Jimmy Hoffa is fantastic um, even just like the slower um, the slower scenes like with him and Robert De Niro Robert De Niro is kind of like his right hand man and he's there's a scene where Al Pacino's ranting to like all of his like cronies he's like you dumb! You know he's calling them. It's what you know. Al Pacino does best. That that's like his like Tom Cruise loves to run full speed. Matthew McConaughey loves to have his shirt off. Al Pacino loves to right. yell at people. That's like his right. That's and right the, up his alley. Right, and this and the scene's perfect because he's calling them. I'm not going to curse. He calls them dumb mother 
yeah, yeah, yeah. use your imagination you know? yeah <laughs> and then and then robert neal's kind of standing there and then he walks out the office and al pacino follows him where are you going he says i quit i quit you talk to, you can't talk to me you can talk to them like that you can't talk to me to that now Pacino's like no that didn't apply to you i didn't <laughs> see you there i was standing right there i didn't see you, you yeah know, just you know, I, I don't know. I just love those scenes. And you know, um, and you know then, what? You'll never see that movie. You'll never see that scene be attributed to a movie about the yakuza, or a movie about right. the cartel, unless it's right. like a black comedy. Unless it's a Quentin Tarantino, and it's like being, it's it's being irreverent for being irreverent's purpose, right? Like whereas right. mafia movies, and part of that is I feel like because of the culture of Italians versus the culture of Japanese, but I also think that that's partially like an unfair attribute that we have like as americans like we just see the yakuza we just assume that they're like they've got a one-track mind whereas in a lot of ways they probably operate a little bit like the mafia maybe you disagree with that but uh it's just that from a film perspective anyways i, I kind of noticed that difference that well it's um i think part of it was that the, the yakuza is not as prevalent in this country as the mafia was and then the mafia came in at the right time like the mafia started during prohibition so you know prohibition was very unpopular um law that was put in place and then the mafia kind of came in as these gangs and they formed in the 30s and they ran liquor and everybody drank so everybody kind of got in with these guys and that's how they made their political connections they're so you know they're kind of affiliation with the celebrities and stuff. So they, they kind of got that superstar like um the superstar like uh status around that time. And then they just kind of carried it with them. And then they just became a, like a fabric of our society. Yeah, they're um, very romanticized. What's, they yeah. And they still and, and they still are because there's actually a lot of mob guy ex mob guys that have like YouTube channels and stuff now. Yeah. Um like yeah, like Sammy the Bull Gravano. You know, a lot of people might not know who he is, but they might know John Gotti. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Gravano was his right-hand man and was the one that put him in jail. And then there's Michael Francis, who was a mafia captain. He's got his own YouTube uh, show as well. So a lot of these guys that were in that life are kind of coming back and talking about it now. How did those guys, this is a, this maybe just come from a place of victory, but how have those guys not gotten killed? Like, I would imagine, just based on the lore, that if you get out of the family and you're just, like, walking around telling some of the trade secrets on YouTube that you might get killed. Are they, do you think they're in danger, or are they, like, hidden away somewhere? How um, I wouldn't say they are. I mean, especially with, like, Michael Francis and Gravano, these guys are in their 70s. You know, like, they've been out of the family for, like, 20-something years. And a lot of the guys that they were working with at that time are all either dead or in jail. So, you know, they kind of outlasted everybody. Oh, okay. And then, you know, nowadays, you know, like the newer guys, the 20, 30 year olds, you know, there's no percentage in just going, killing this old guy who's talking about stuff that doesn't even apply to them. You know, That's like true. he doesn't yeah. know. Like, you know, Gravano, Gravano's been out of the mafia for 20 something years. Francis's been out for 20 something years. You know, John A. Light, he was a shooter for uh, John Gotti Jr., um, so yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, they just got older. They outlasted everybody that kind of, they may have hurt. That's, that's, you know? fat, that's or interesting. Or Francis' character, he didn't, he didn't testify against anybody. He just quit. I just didn't know if there would be some sort of retribution, you know, because as we talked about, there's different, uh, 
feel like different crime organizations throughout time would operate a little bit differently. Uh, I had this this really interesting seminar I went to about how pirates operated. And uh, you might know this more than me because you, you seem like you're more of a buff, but I always heard that the reason that pirates would walk people off the plank wasn't necessarily because they were evil. It was to hold up their code and to let people know that if, hey, if you, you know, if you give us 90% of the gold that we ask for and then you hide 10% and we find it, we have to send a message to everybody on the sea that we're, we're not playing around. Um, so it was, it was about like, it wasn't necessarily about they're gaining something from killing you or they're gaining something from, uh, having that retribution, but they, they have to do it for retribution's sake. And I just didn't know if that was something that maybe the mafia did, but like I said, it's just fascinating how different people in different cultures do their, do their crime operations and the differences as we talked about. Um, I think in a way it's their way of kind of setting a standard, um, for longevity, you know, that that's my theory on it. The mafia, you know, the, or the, uh, the American mafia, their thing is, you know, we don't kill innocent people. You know, I mean, it's, it's happened, but it's not something that they do. You know, like they, they kill each other. Yeah. You know, they don't kill civilians. They don't kill cops, you know? And I mean, um, you know, you can be the person that says, you know, yeah, they do it because it's a, it's a matter of honor and, or you could say, well, they're doing it because if they started killing innocent people and cops, the police would just totally come after them. So, yeah. you know, I can see either way. Yeah. So with with your title character Johnny Carlo, he's definitely following the the moral code that you're you're laying out, where he's not going to touch innocents, he's not going to touch cops. Does that make him an outlier in your story, or is he a is he a good guy, a legitimate good guy, or do you think he's more of an antihero or something in between? He's definitely an anti-hero. Um, he represents the naivete of, like, the younger generations that kind of believe in this code of honor, which really is not, you know, it, it's it's not a real code. But, you know, you take a young, impressionable kid who, you know, they latch onto it and it becomes something that they believe in. Yeah. So that's him. You know, he looks at the mafia as this, like, honorable society and you know he takes pride in being a part of it is the is the real mafia in in your like in maybe this is something that's quantifiable maybe it's not but are they significantly i feel like a lot of the mafia stories happen in the past are they as big of a deal now as they used to be or about the same or are they just quieter about it how does that look you think well they're still around um i don't think they have as much influence as they once did man i mean back in the day like the 50s and the 60s this was like their heyday you know they they put they helped put kennedy in the presidency they uh you know the fbi couldn't touch them until how do they put kennedy in the presidency i don't think i've heard i've heard a there's obviously a lot of conspiracy theories around around jfk's presidency but that's i haven't heard i haven't heard that one i want to hear more about that um so jfk's father joe was a bootlegger back in the 20s so he had those connections with the with you know the mafia back then and you know later on his sons went into politics and he kind of used uh his old contacts to help sway some of the votes especially in illinois and west virginia which is what they really swayed the votes toward kennedy's side wow. and then they figured the mafia figured yeah we'll, yeah we'll go for it you know we figured hey 
this guy becomes the president and, you know, he'll work with us. And around that same time, around the same time, they were business partners with uh, Batista, who was the last president of, he was the dictator of Cuba before Castro took over. Mm-hmm. So Batista runs the government. He's He's not, you know, taking bribes. He's partners with the mafia in Cuba. So they have full reign of Cuba, which is, especially Havana back then before Castro took over. Havana was like Las Vegas on steroids. Yeah. I mean, there was so much money in in the casinos and the hotels and whatnot down there. And I heard that that was like their, that was like the mafia's plan was to kind of run that country and then use that as like a stronghold and kind of expand their reach from there. So they almost became international for a time. They were international if you count Cuba, then Castro took over and kicked all of them out. And then, you know, Kennedy, he was supposed to be their guy, but then Kennedy's brother, Robert became the attorney general and he went after the mafia and Hoover, the head of the FBI couldn't touch the mafia because they had something on them. So Robert Kennedy um, started making these cases against them. And then that only stopped when his brother died. And then you had also, you know, their connections to, like, the unions. Like, we talk about Jimmy Hoffa, you know. A lot of people don't realize how powerful Jimmy Hoffa was. Like, he was the head of the Teamsters Union. Mm-hmm. What that means is... If he said so, if he willed it, all the trucks, the semi-trucks you see out on the highway, they all grind to a halt. And so the businesses can't transport their goods. I mean, it would have shut the country down. And the guy that could do that was in the mafia's pocket. I mean, that's just kind of, you know, and then they, they ran, you know, the construction rackets in New York. So all these construction contracts that were over two million dollars the mafia taxed them on so i think that's part of it there was just this staple of american society that's crazy yeah and and like i said you wonder how much if anything that they have control over today or what that looks like just it's one of those things where we might not know for 20 years we might not know until another tell-all book comes out in the next generation um right you, you know you talked about earlier about you stick strictly strictly to fiction. I'm the same way. The idea of doing a historical fiction, it just seems like it's a whole nother la- layer of work of, of just, okay, I have to get my facts straight. And But I right. will say this, that everything you just laid out, there is plenty of material there to do a one-off about you know a member of the Teamsters Union or the Cuban relationship. I just feel like there's so much that you could write about. Is there, is there any one topic about a uh, real-world uh, mafia that, you've kind of thought about, man, this could be, this could be the one I'd, I'd want to write something on. Oh man, that would, that would probably be the 19, the early 1930s. That's when the, like the mafia started in 1931. So what, it, what happened back then was in New York, there was this boss called Joe Massarea and he was like the head Italian crime boss. Everybody answered to him. Right. And then this other guy, Salvatore Maranzano, he was another crime boss. They went to war with each other. So one of Masseria's top guys, uh, uh, Charles Lucky Luciano, he makes a deal with Maranzano. Hey, listen, I'll kill Masseria. You, you know, let me run his, uh, his gang and then we'll make the peace. You know, then I'll answer to you. Maranzano says, okay. 
So Luciano kills Masarea. And then he actually turns around and kills Maranzano. And then after he kills Maranzano, he gets all the heads together, all the other crime bosses, and he says, all right, listen, you know, there's no more head boss. It, this, this, is a, this is a table. Like, this is a round table. I don't know if you ever saw Boardwalk Empire. No, I've been meaning to. I, I haven't done it yet. That's a... Uh... Is that Showtime? I, there are stars. It's one of those, right? It's not HBO, right? It's HBO. It is H. Okay, yeah, I have I have yeah. HBO. I just need to get around to it. There's so much good stuff on HBO. Um, I'll do right. it eventually. You, just, you watch. There, there, there's a scene near the end where you know Luciano is, you know, he's one of the characters in the show. It's just him when he's younger, and then near the end of the show, he's got all the mob bosses together. He says, "This this, this table we're standing before you." It, is round. It's round for a reason. There's no way at the head. Yeah. You know, any, any problems we have, we take it here. Anybody wants to get made, it's done here at this table. We all vote on it. The word of board of directors. So that's how the mafia started. If you would have asked me, I would have thought that it started in, in Italy. Where does the Italy um, tie come from? Other than the fact that they're Italian, does it, I thought that there was. Well, there, there's obviously organized crime in Italy, right? But it sounds like right. they're not really connected to the mafia because I. I'm just showing how ignorant I am right now. They're loosely connected. Um, you know, like the Sicilian, there's a Sicilian mafia, um, and they have actually other different groups in Italy, like the Camorra and all of them. Um, but the Italian, the American mafia, it's called the American mafia and the Sicilian mafia are two different groups. Mm-hmm. So if you're, and actually they have rules with each other. So if you're like, in the American mafia, you can't be in the Sicilian mafia and vice versa. You Got can it. do business, but you can't be part of both groups. Yeah. That makes sense. It was, it was, it was kind of their way of having their own, you know, independency from each other. Got it. And what, what happened to Chicago during what, this time? Like, cause I know, I mean, uh, when I think of organized crime, literally the first thing that comes to mind other than the Godfather is Scarface and the real Scarface, you know, like, and so what happened to those guys? Like, how do they, how do they come into play? You mean like, uh, Al Capone? Yeah. Al Capone. Like when, what, like, did they just, uh, did they just fall in like after prohibition? Did they just fall in, um, like influence compared to the, compared to the mafia or they just stay completely apart from one another? No, they were part of it. Um, uh, the thing with Al Capone was he went to prison around that same time for tax evasion. But yeah, so the American mafia, so th- their stronghold was New York City, but they also had families in Buffalo, uh, Scranton, Detroit, Chicago, Boston, Cleveland, just a bunch of uh, like almost all these major cities on the East Coast and in the um, and in the Midwest. Uh, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans had one. Um, Florida had one. Yeah, I, I was gonna ask you about New Orleans uh, or New Orleans. I, I, I'm from the South, and I still do not know how to pronounce it. You know, you could go the Jim Nance route and call it like New Orleans or whatever he says. But uh, so, what is kind of a loaded question? You might not have an answer for it. But what led you to put, you know, the Ballad of Johnny Carlo? It's I think it takes largely, largely takes place in New Orleans, correct? Yeah. And so what was your, was there an inspiration behind that? Is this just something that you've, a place you've been to and you were inspired by? Or was there a reason from that from like a mafia perspective? Um, that's actually a good question. 
well, they used to have a mafia family there. They're not around anymore, from what I heard. Um, but I've always been fascinated with New Orleans. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, a large part of it is that, uh, you know, if you read the story uh, in New Orleans, there's a, there's a crime boss in New Orleans in the story of the Battle of Johnny Carlo named uh, Frank, Frank Abraham. Um, he's African-American. And New Orleans has a large uh, African American um, community, you know. And uh, so then Frank's daughter Leisha, she's the other protagonist of the story. You know, she's whereas Johnny's the antihero, she's the hero. Yeah. You know, um, homicide detective, and you know she's African American as well. So that was part of it. Was I want to kind of, I want to take. Johnny Carlo, who's from this this culture in New York City, and take him to, down to Orleans, where it's uh, very different. Yeah, it's certainly different. You know, yeah, it's a whole different culture down there. Have you been? It's on my list. It is. Uh, it's it's an interesting place. It's kind. In some ways, it's exactly what you imagine it would be. In other ways, it's not. I would say the biggest difference between expectation and reality is that the French Quarter is small. It's very small. Like, is it? Um, yeah. It's it's uh. I would even I would almost say that it's like misleading from a tourism perspective where um and the thing about the French Quarter and I mean there could be some New Orleans listeners that would disagree but one of the things that I was struck by is like the 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 part of the French Quarter that is touristy you could you could walk around the entire perimeter of it in like 20 minutes 15 minutes um really? you can go see every single street every single store in that whole thing in like an in like a a, a four hours i feel like um and then outside of it there are some areas that are similar architecture kind of what you'd imagine as new orleans architecture but it's not as well kept and it's kind of a dangerous area to walk down and so you kind of just drive in the middle of it you walk around it, you can tell when you're going too far um and then and i say dangerous you know what i mean like it's not it's fine to walk through during the day but you, you know you don't want to be by yourself walking through some of these areas at night you know how it is like in the middle of a of a touristy area in a downtown city anywhere in the U.S. It's not, this isn't just New Orleans. Uh, we have we have similar areas in Dallas that are like that where totally safe any any hour of the day and then you walk two blocks over and it's like, oh, I probably should go find my friends. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's, uh, it is, it's unique in its architecture and its flavor, that's for sure. Um, you, you definitely need to go down there at some point, preferably when it's not, you know, as hot as it is right now. But it's a, it's a right, cool spot. Right, right, right. Yeah. You do some do some scoping for for any sequels that you that you might have planned. Uh, but did you write this in first person or in third person, or how did that? What, what style did you use? I used third person because I wrote Ice Rising in first person because I kind of wanted to make it like a fictional autobiography kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a challenge to that. So I wanted to with this story, I wanted to kind of do third person that way i would be able to jump to different characters without kind of uh confusing the reader yeah so and then it it worked out very well for me yeah i've thought about that as well i think i I, i've done multiple perspective always stay third person and in part because i don't always know how to adapt the the person who i'm writing for and their their thoughts and things especially if i do 
like let's be honest you're not an african-american woman <laughs> i don't know if anybody's watching right. like, we have this on youtube it's it's pretty obvious so i w- right. was that a with with all of your books or with some of your books not only from the from that perspective but also writing as a mafia member was there any challenge in that and w- did you have any process that or did it just come naturally as you're writing you just felt like you were in that that character's head pretty easily um definitely felt like i was in that character's head i mean the thing about Johnny Carlo is that it's that naive idealism that he has. And I think most of us have kind of been that person before, you know, just that, you know, you kind of enter the world with this, this certain perspective. And then as you get older and wiser, you kind of see the different layers underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's, it's almost a character you can insert into the story. It's like a, he's more probably more relatable than your average mafia guy is what I'm gathering in right. some ways. Yeah. Your second main character. I want, I keep wanting to say Lucia and you're gonna have to correct me. What is her name? Leisha. Leisha. Okay. Leisha. Uh, what describe her? I mean, I obviously I, I, I understand the nobility, uh, that you've got with, with Johnny, but describe Leisha to me. What, what would you, how would you describe her? Leisha is, uh, she's a homicide detective in New Orleans, um, you know, she has that strong sense of duty toward her city, you know, like she's like the protector. Um, you know, she's smart. She's honest. He's strong. Uh, she's beautiful. Basically kind of, you know, the entire package. Yeah. Um, you know, she's no damsel in distress by any means. You know, she can hold her own in a fight. You know, she's the epitome of what a cop is supposed to be you know ideally and realistically um so yeah so like i said whereas in you know johnny carlo is kind of you know he may see himself in a certain lighter perspective you know lighter perspective than he is she is you know the 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 true hero right He's the moral gray area. She is the standard, if you will, that right. needs to be right going towards. Does she know like all the stuff he's done in the past? Is she is she aware of that immediately, or is that something that you know she unfortunately has to uncover? And if that's a spoiler, then we can always we can always divert course. But is she like is she cool with Johnny at first? Um, actually, they start off a little bit rocky. When the reason why Johnny goes down to New Orleans, and um, it's mentioned in, in in the in the blurb on the back of the book, he ends up leaving the mafia. Yeah, um, it's easier said than done. So he goes down to New Orleans with a different identity, and you know, he makes this decision. Okay, I'm not going to be a criminal. I'm just going to be a you know a square when I go down there. I'm just going to have a job. I'm just going to work that job because I can't you know I can't just go back to who I was. You know, I, I have to change who I am now. Mm-hmm. So when she meets him, you know, she's not meeting Johnny Carlo, you know, the, the, the killer. She's meeting Johnny Torino, the tire mechanic. Yeah. And actually when they meet, um, he almost, he al- they were actually driving on the highway and uh, in different cars. And he almost hit her car. And so she put the little light on, on her car, pulled him over. She was, you know, mad at first. Yeah. And then, you know, she kind of lets him off with a warning. So that's how they meet at first. Then, like, you know, by 
fate or Cupid, what have you, you know, they meet under better circumstances and, you know, it, it kind of, you know, they, they realize the, the chemistry they have for each other. I gotta feel like have. if you're if you're an ex mafia member that's you know for lack of a better term on the run, you should probably not be paying attention to your phone and don't hit cop cars on the road. That's probably step one, you know. But uh, but right. hey, it, get, it, it gets them together. So maybe it's like you said, right. it's fate. Um, but then you know that that obviously is not going to last. And you know he's he's got it. Like we were talking about earlier, you've, you've got these these strings in the novel that I that I find interesting. Where um, kind of what you're talking about with the the mafia today. And whether or not some of these guys can get out of the mafia versus if they are are going to be pulled back in or whatever, you know, he's going to have people gunning for him. Johnny Johnny Carlo is going to have people gunning for him, and uh, you know, they, obviously people come down in New Orleans, people that he knows, people that he, I guess, his former confidants. Yeah, I mean, feel free to divulge as much as possible in that regard. It feels like there's there's several strings. I think one of the things that I found interesting about your your character arcs is that there's there seems to be a, a person from a different background coming from different angles that have slightly different relationships with Johnny and, and kind of like different stakes involved in it. Right. So what I did with Johnny, so the reason why Johnny left in the first place is because the mafia itself is changing. When, when, when I messaged you, I mentioned about Dominic, who is the head of the crime family that Johnny works for. Dominic's in his 80s. So, you know, so he survived, you know, the RICO trials. He survived, you know, the wars and the and the informants. So he's the old timer in the mafia. And everybody else kind of looks up to him like, wow, you know, like you survived all this. You must know what you're doing. So he's got that respect of everybody. Right. Um, but he, but he's also a visionary. So he decides, all right, listen, you know, like. We're, we're still not what we were, but we can be. And here's how we can do it. But we have to we have to adapt with the times. So he actually makes a deal with the other crime syndicates, the Russian mafia, the drug cartels, the Yakuza, and the triad. And they all pool their resources together and form this, like, uber syndicate. And they say, all right, we're going to run this country, like the underworld. Yeah. Everybody else either falls in line or we're going to bury them so johnny's one of the top hitmen of the mafia so he's one of the tools they're using but unfortunately you know they start to kind of pick targets that go against his code so now there's a problem you know like where's the honor now you're like you know you're having me kill this person or kill that person you know he doesn't agree with it, it bothers him yeah and then you know, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a job that they give him that it's this straw that breaks the camel's back. And he says, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So he goes, so he decides to go on the run. The problem is, is that aside from the fact that you can't quit, his girlfriend at the time, Aurora, is, she's also next in line to run the family. She's the granddaughter of Dominic which is a rule that um, he broke, a rule that Dominic broke. It's one of those, you know, but again, he's the most respected man of the mafia, so, you know, who's who can challenge him? And she's also an assassin in her own right. So now she's feels betrayed. Then his best friend Vincent is also an assassin, and he feels betrayed. And he's dangerous in his own right. He's like Johnny. He won't hurt innocent people, but only out of respect for Johnny. You know, he's... 
he's kind of he's the darker version of of Johnny. You know, he doesn't. You know, he actually enjoys killing people. Johnny right. just kind of takes this job with a sense of pride. So not only is the mafia against Johnny, but all of the other heads of the other large crime organizations are after him. You know, geez, his chances are very low at that point. I feel like. Right, <laughs> right. Man. So he says, "Okay, Johnny Carlo's dead. I have to change my identity." He, you know, he has some contacts to help him, and he, you know, just so happens that um, New Orleans was not random. You know, one of his old friends has a connection down there and kind of sets him up with a job and a place. And so he says, "Okay, I guess this is it for me." Yeah, and then you know, it, it's one of those stories where there's so much going on, but they're all connected. Yeah, that's, you know, it I love just that. so happens, it just so happens that Leisha, the homicide detective, she's investigating these gangland slayings going on. There's these two gangs at war with each other. One runs New Orleans, and the other one's based in Baton Rouge trying to expand into New Orleans. And her father is the head of crime in New Orleans. Oh, her and, father is. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yes. That's, a, that's an interesting family dynamic. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna have some crazy they love things. Other, but they're just different, you know. Yeah, and uh, but Frank's problem, Frank Abraham, is that he's going against the mafia. They're trying to, you know, he's one of those, he's one of those groups that held out and says, "No, I'm not subservient to anybody. This is my city. Like I run this. I don't answer anybody. I, I took control. I made all this happen. This is me." That's an interesting so, dynamic. So he's got it's it's yeah. one of those things where your 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 enemy of your enemy is your friend, so to speak. Right, right. I like that. So so Frank is and Frank is Frank is that I mean, if there ever was a gangster with honor, it's Frank. You know, he's you know, he is a crime lord. He runs the crime, but he you know, he, he's also a community leader and he helps out his people. He keeps the murder rate low. Um, he keeps the hard drugs out of the city. You know, he's just... And, and and then you kind of find out how he's able to do that without getting killed himself. Like, you know, you don't sell drugs in the city? Nope. Uh, how do you do that? Well, you know, I have my ways. <laughs> yeah. It's like you there's know? people in this then, story that are chaotic. It's like that, that flow chart that will show chaotic good, good neutral, good... It feels like there's, there's kind of somebody that fits every mold. There's people that are truly evil... Yes. There's people that are truly good, and then there's people that are in right. kind of the gray area that are that are bad people with an honor code, and then there's people with an honor code that are truly evil, and it's it's just right. a mix, a hodgepodge of people from that you want to root for or root strongly against, depending on you know where they land on that on that table. Right, right. You would have Vincent at chaotic evil. You would have Leisha at lawful good. That's great, man. I the, the, you know the I think that. As I've I've read some crime thrillers over the past few years, I think one thing that is that is missing from some of these stories is they feel so linear and they feel like there's one antagonistic force, one truly good force, and not this kind of this kind of like knives up sort of approach where there's there's nine ten parties. What and I don't know if you have as many, but there's a lot of people at play. There's a lot of there's a lot of chips on the table and. You, you truly don't know who's going to win or who has the upper hand at any given moment. Um, and, it, right. and like I said, you know, as I, we were talking about New Orleans earlier, I think New Orleans is a perfect 
setting for that. It's a big enough city where people can can get away and hide and uh there's so much culture and flavor down there. It's a fun it's a really fun place. Uh you know, as as I as much as I kind of made fun of uh parts of the French Quarter for being a little bit too touristy, it is a it is a very distinctive culture and it's a distinctive place and I feel like it's a very memorable place to make a movie. There's a lot of I feel like there's a reason that a lot of Hollywood movies lately are being set there, you know? It seems to be like one of the like outside of, you know, your obvious New York and LA, it seems like there's a lot of movies being made where the setting is New Orleans, right? Right. Yeah, well, I noticed that too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's fun. Um well tell tell us where we can find uh the Ballad of Johnny Carlo and your other works. Because I know you, you've got other works that are out. You're about to come out with your. I imagine you're going to be publishing this this collection of short stories, correct? And and when is that kind of coming yeah. out? That will be coming out. I I actually don't know. I don't know when the sh- collection of short stories is coming out. I am a pantser. I have no idea wh- where my stories are going to lead. I don't know how long it's going to take me. That's I fair. didn't know with Johnny Carlo I was going to have a story this massive, but. That's what happens, and it all fit well together. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on that right now. If anybody is interested in the Ballad of Johnny Carl, they can find it on Amazon. I have it available in paperback. I don't know if you fans can see this, but I have it in paperback version. Um, That's a cool I have cover. A hardcover version, and then I also have it available on Kindle. Uh, if you have a Kindle Unlimited account, it's free. And I also. Um, send out signed copies myself so anybody that wants you know their own their own copy with maybe a personal message my signature you know feel free to contact me you can reach me on facebook on my author page on facebook which is uh at james the real mike um same thing on twitter i'm available on twitter just put in at james the real mike or at james real mike i'm sorry I'm also on Instagram as, uh, you know, James Michaels, just M-I-C-H-E-L-S. I have a book club that started on Facebook called Books and Crooks Book Club. It's for readers and writers of crime fiction and true crime. So we can get together, talk about books, talk about, you know, different, uh, you know, crime stories, whether they be real or fake. Um we mentioned earlier that I have another book, Ice Rising. This is available on paperback and Kindle, um, free on Kindle Unlimited. And that is the story of a young man's transformation from this innocent child to like ruthless criminal. So kind of like a kind of like a you know, a breaking bad story. You know, oh, somebody yeah. with so much potential who just goes down the wrong path, just he starts off a lot younger. It's actually an ongoing series. Icebox is the sequel to Ice Rising, and that has a uh, prison setting to it. Oh, wow. And that will be available August 12th, and it's available for pre-order right now at a discount on Amazon. All my work is available on Amazon. We didn't even get into Ice Rising, but that was another one that just the, the synopsis sounds super cool. Highly encourage people listening to go to go check that out on Amazon. I am, I'm a sucker for any like moral ambiguity and like I, like I said earlier, anti-heroes, things of that nature. It just provides such a cool backdrop for stories. So um, yeah, love, love the space that you're operating in. Um, love all the stuff you have coming out. 
Um, I'll put all this in the show notes so people will have access to it. Again, James, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. It was my pleasure. Wow.